episode of First Strike, where we've got to start the show. We're going to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Right now, the weekly special is up to 50% off select modern singles. Definitely go check the website to see if there's anything that you need to finish your modern deck. They might be on special right now. Uh, tonight, special episode, we've got, uh, we're coming on the pre-releases, Ravnica Allegiance, so can't wait to get down to the top five with these guys because it was heated review like whether who was best at judging the previous set but before all of that we've got a very special guest we got Tarek patel in the chat live with us um second place right now as as it is on the scg tour leaderboard welcome to the show Tarek. hi thanks for having me um i i decided to listen to to prep for the show listen to your appearance on Seti P, but I'm glad to have you on the show because it was mainly a lot of it was focused on your teammates' innovations with Amulet and uh, how he sort of went a different direction from our very frequent guest Edgar uh, and, and found success. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Dom's a brilliant guy, so the fact that he found this unique take was was quite interesting. Um, and and the main thing, and I tweeted about this that uh, I didn't realize was that uh, you are no longer living in Canada. I think we first sort of met, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, at uh, my second PTQ win in Ottawa, where we played in the top eight. Yep. And then I would, after that, when I first met you there, and I actually played poorly in the Abzan Mirror, but was lucky enough to beat you. Uh, I, I felt I made a few, I remember making a few major mistakes that I regretted, but then I kept seeing you after event after event, and uh, you doing well, performing well, and then seeing you with Edgar on th- different teams. And I just assumed you were like part of this Toronto thing uh, all the way through, but, but you're not in Toronto anymore. No, I haven't been in quite some time. Yeah, um, 20, 2015 is when I left last. Wow, that's been a while. So, okay, yeah. let's go way back. Yeah. So, around when we, fir- when we first played, where were you at in terms of competitive magic? Yes. Yeah, so when we played, I was actually probably like the PTQ grinder back then. Um, I was on quite a tear. I think when we played in the top eight or top four, whenever we played in Ottawa, I think that was like my third week in a row of top eighting PTQs. And then the next weekend, I think was the last PTQ ever, if I remember correctly, in Buffalo. Ended up playing that one. I top four that one, and I actually lost to Omar in the <laughs> semifinals, and he went on to lose the finals. So. That was the time where I was really grinding ETQs, and it took me like I think like eleven top eights before I finally queued for my first pro tour. So that was me back then. <laughs> how did you get into so so you knew Omar then already? So how did you even get to know all these uh, good players in Toronto? Yeah, so actually it's a funny story. Omar and I go go way way back. So before I started playing Magic, even uh, two thousand four, two thousand five, I used to play Yu Gi Oh. I used to be a grinder uh, in in that game actually. And so was Omar at the time. A lot of people don't know this, but Omar is a, a GP champion or whatever the equivalent is in Yu-Gi-Oh. So I'd been in the team and I knew the I knew Ogar. Oh, I knew Omar for a long time. So when I came over to Magic, it was like, hey, I already know this guy, and kind of slid right in. Uh, as for the rest of the people, though, I went to Laurier, which is in Waterloo, and at the time Edgar was going to Waterloo, and I think. That might be the only person from the crew that you might know, but there was a bunch of us up in Waterloo and we're, we're all like competitive spirits. We're all college kids. So we were all friends at the time. We used to do like the degenerate 4am drafts and, and such. So that's kind of where I started playing magic and haven't looked back. So one of the cool things I think I, I heard from the show 
from said show um, is like, as we all know, Canada, the, the places that get the GPs are British Columbia, Toronto, Montreal, usually the considered the, the three main centers for magic in, uh, in Canada. Right. Uh, but I, I feel like in Toronto, I see uh, this tighter knit group. And, and to be honest, in Montreal, it's always been maybe because, but Toronto, that's what I want to pick your brain about because Toronto is really big. But Montreal, I feel also there's different pockets of, mm-hmm. of MTG stores. And that's why there haven't been a strong Montreal team in a while. Like when, when Hayne, Hayne was really doing his own thing and he, he made the PT, he stopped playing at local stores. Uh, you know, John Stern was doing his, his uh, own thing, but there weren't, you know, you don't hear about like the Lucas Seals, the Morgans, yourself, Edgar, Matthew Dilts. You keep hearing that. You don't, you know, Montreal, like there's no, I can't tell you, um, that many, I can name you some up and comers, but I can't tell you that many. And in Toronto, Toronto is also massive though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think a large part of it is because of the great work you guys do at face to face. You know, I'm actually kind of jealous that I don't live there anymore. You guys have these unreal, like every weekend, they're like what one K's now. And every couple of weeks, every couple of months, you guys got these massive tournaments that you rent out uh, venues for. And I remember back when you guys used to do that in Seneca, I believe, right. That's where it first started. So, yeah, I, I really credit it a lot to the competitive scene you guys are fostering up there. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think the Toronto store, it's like we host uh, since it's just a, the Toronto crowd is really good because ever since we started the uh, F2F series like two years ago, mm-hmm. we're hosting in, in a given year, we're hosting many tournaments across Canada, but we're, we're almost hosting the exact same amount in Toronto. Like we'll right. go like there's like a British Columbia one, Toronto. Next month, it'd be like Montreal, but still one in Toronto. So you're right. You're right. We're really fostering this, this Toronto competitive scene. And, and that, that, that does make a lot of sense to me now. Um, you get to see these people all the time. You get to see, like, I don't know, I'm just, like, name-dropping people off the top of my head. Dave Goldfarb, the, the, the grinders of, mm-hmm. of uh, the circuit. So, wow. Okay. So what have you – do you think you've progressed a lot since then to, to have such a strong uh, – opening run here in 2019 um it's interesting you say that um i think through the years i've had so many missed calls like even i took about a two-year break for magic to go to school uh when i came back actually my first event back i ended up um i was x1 going into the last two rounds of of gp toronto and i thought i'd locked for top eight but through someone's unfortunate circumstances i ended up lose losing and and just barely missing out in top eight and throughout all that, you know, I've had near misses before in the past, but, you know, you kind of have to keep a level head when you get some bad variants. So if I'm being fair, the flip side of it, when, when stuff finally gets to go right, I have to kind of also take it in the same, same vein and I can't get too high when, when I do actually start hitting good cards and, and running hot. But I, I think, honestly, I've been playing solid magic for a while now, and this is just the good side of variants where nobody ever sees really the bad side, right? For every hot streak like this, I've, I've lost countless winning ins to pro tours and and top eights and, and the like just you don't get to see that stuff yeah i love to hear that um just like just like last year it's like we're why, why can't edgar stop winning like it's not running yeah, sure his streak is kind of crazy um so let's get down to uh your, your second place finish with your team your deck list um how, how'd you come up with that deck and let's just talk about your, your is it phoenix deck a bit yeah, for sure. So actually, it was funny. Omar was the one that first brought up the deck to me. This was like 
right when uh, Guilds of Ravnica was released um, back in like October, no, probably not October, but like mid November ish. And um, he's like, hey, I, I think this Arclight Phoenix is, is really good. And at the time, it was the really rough version with like Bedlam Revelers, Charter Courses, and, and such. And even back then, just because nobody knew of the deck at the time, the deck was phenomenal. Like we had like something like an 80 something win percentage over time. I remember we took it into a PTQ like first weekend. Then I barely missed out on top eight. I lost to to Dredge um, and Spirits, and I got a bit unlucky, so we lost out there. But we continued kind of working on the deck. And Omar, for some reason, towards the end, as we were teaming closer to closer to Columbus, he he wasn't winning as much as anymore uh, as we were before. So the night before, he kind of gave up on it and went back to Trusty Death Shadow. And and God bless him. Like he he did really well throughout the event. You know, I have to give him huge props for how much winning he did. He played really tight. And that if you've ever played Grixis Death Shadow Modern, it's it's not an easy deck to play. One one bad scry, one one error in cantrip, and you know, you can punt away the whole game. So he came up really clutch. And then um there, there's of course the, the the fascinating talk of of war, what we should do with, with KCI moving forward. So so let's get your thoughts. Let's get your thoughts first. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, what do I think is going to happen? I think they are going to ban KCI. I think they should ban KCI. And for everybody thinking that I'm salty, is I play a lot of KCI myself. I played it uh, for months and months and months and enjoyed huge success off it. But it's time for that deck to go. It's oppressive. It it really like there's like half the format when I play KCI, they're not even matches. You know, they're just free wins, and the other half, they're just so hateful that. I don't feel like I'm playing Magic. Like when I sit across from Spirits, it's like, all right, I might as well just sign the match slipping and go get lunch. Um, gun to my head, if I had to guess what happens Monday, I think they're going to ban KCI, and I hope they don't touch Ancient Stirrings and Faithless Suiting. But I'm sure everybody has their own opinions on it, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Okay, let's go. Let's go with you first, Derek. Have you still been grinding with the deck online? No, I noticed. Um right after the rptq like i picked it up right after the rptq i noticed that there was an uptick in other people playing kci also in, in canister stream and asking around about the deck um and then i noticed a lot of success at the invitational and at the scg circuit you saw a lot of kci in the top eight of the team event and quite a bit in the top 16 of the invitational so like like there should be there's a lot of hate online and I was just losing matches that I shouldn't lose because like random things would happen. Like I would get paired against the white black Eldrazi deck that I'm pretty sure just can't beat a control deck in their lifetime, but uh, just like loses or just like crushes me because every card in their deck does something or, or can't beat burn or can't beat like these other decks. Right. And then I would get paired against Phoenix and they would like Manamorphose on turn two and put uh, Sony silence in play. And I would not have, uh, nature's claims in my deck and so it'd just be like why am I playing this deck if everybody's just going to have 15 cards from me out of their sideboard so I haven't touched it um, and I don't plan on touching it and I'm very happy I did not purchase the deck because I am in the same camp and I do think the deck is going to be banned um, don't know if they'll take something else out of the format uh, I don't know how they decide these things. Like, I really wish there was an article from the DCI or from somebody that said, this is what we do. These are the things we run. These are the numbers we look at. Cause then it would be like, okay, like 
then they should also ban ancient stirrings or they should ban faithless looting or they should ban mox opal like there's so many other cards that come up every ban time and it's like why are these cards still being talked about right like when where's the line um so yeah i don't know i think kci has to go i don't know what card it'll be i don't know if it'll be kci if it'll be trawler it'll be opal who knows well, it looks like to someone who's just recently bought the whole deck. Uh, Andy, what, what are your thoughts? And, and, and do you regret your decision right now? Do I regret my decision? Yes. <laughs> I'm uh, pretty afraid that it's going to get banned. And I, th- I thought it was the best deck when I bought it, obviously. And uh, it has shown to be too good. <laughs> I, I think uh, Matt Nass has is, is cost me a lot of money. He keeps winning with the deck. But what uh, I just I'm so afraid of it getting banned because I don't know what I'll play at Toronto. I'll probably end up just playing Is It Phoenix, but that's what everyone's going to be playing. Like, look how well it did last weekend. And then you start wondering like when that deck's going to get a hit because it's a really powerful deck and it put up insane numbers. And the card Faithless Looting is obviously ridiculous. So that's the thing with Modern is it's such a crap crapshoot that I don't. I could see KCI not getting banned because it didn't put any copies. I don't think it put any copies in the top eight last weekend. But I hope it doesn't get banned. I think it's possible it will. I think it's more likely it doesn't than it does. But I think it's the second most likely thing to happen is KCI gets banned. And I think it would be the card KCI, if that matters at all. It just produces a lot of mana. It's the obvious broken thing. Scrap Trawler by itself would not be broken. If there's a Scrap Trawler like value deck with Psy, that's fine. You can let that happen. But like, I think KCI and Psy like might still keep something alive without Trawler. Like that's more possible to be broken than the other stuff. Nothing fair happens with KCI. All right, let's 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 get you in there, Elliot. I think Andy really hit it on the head that last sentence with nothing fair happens with KCI. It's like we've had a broken KCI combo deck in the past with eggs. Nobody's ever put KCI in their deck and thought I'm going to cast my mirror superior or whatever, or I'm going to cast my Memnarch ahead of ahead of curve. It's just, you're always doing busted things with KCI. Uh, I think the only other argument for a card you could ban in the deck is scrap trawler, just because, you know, without that, you don't have any of the loops uh, as they stand right now. And maybe you want to let people still play open the vault, I think is the the second sunrise that they have access to now. Um, but yeah, KCI, just no one plays that card with good intentions. Do I think it should be banned? Yes. I said that four months ago when they had the last ban update, though. So only God knows if, if Watsi's deciding to ban it this time. And as... As is always the case with modern, people are going to be clamoring for the top deck to get banned just because it kind of poo-poo's on their favorite deck. You know, when we had Grixis Death Shadow putting up major results when that was sort of a new deck, people were saying, oh, you know, it's just too unfair. You have this mixture of Storm Denial, Thought Season, and a fast clock, and Team Battle Rage is a combo finish. This deck's unbeatable. We need to get rid of it. People were talking about banning meddling mage or some aspect of humans when that was a dominant deck. And I think, like, no matter what, people are going to be complaining. Uh, but to give credit where credit's due, KCI is probably the right deck to be complaining about. 
Do you think it's just like merfolk players whining ad nauseum until their deck's playable again? Like, ban everything until merfolk is playable again. I don't even think if merfolk was playable, like, people would win with it because they only know how to complain. I think, like, they actually just, like, can't actually play magic and they just complain, you know? Like, merfolk could be the best deck in the format and nobody knows because the people playing merfolk are awful at magic. I really hope that everybody knows that that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nick, Nick Achoo doesn't complain. He just like plays it no matter how bad it is in the format. Um, he won a GP though, didn't he? <laughs> he either won or came second, right? Yeah, I, I've never top aided a GP, so maybe I should start playing Merfolk. And he's he's top aided multiple face to face game series in Alberta, so he, he's been consistent with it. But again, I've tried what he made tropical Merfolk. I brought it to a, a PPTQ and instantly regretted my decision. Just felt really underpowered. Uh, it's just a deck that he wants to play no matter what, and he comes up with the best version of it all the time. Um, another thing that was awesome on the on the show, uh, Tarek, is um, actually I, I, I'm re- I'm going to reference this interesting conversation on Twitter where Tom Roscoe's hot take: strategically taking the draw is the most unexplored aspect of professional constructed magic. And then Craig Wesco uh, did. Well, he says, I've strongly considered running this gambit when a, s- a slow, dirty control deck is a deck to beat. Register your deck pre-boarded versus control deck and offer the draw round one to get into the draw bracket to face the slow, dirty control deck every round. And then Sandbox, like, I believe he meant not choosing play, not, not <laughs> jumping in the draw bracket. But the, the fascinating thing about uh, this is like listening to the pod when you're on, you're talking about how you keep track of your motor results, which I know Andy does a lot with, with spreadsheets as well. And uh, you discovered that in some matches, you did better on the draw. So, so you decided to, to do that. So that's really interesting. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so like, like you heard, um, in certain matchups, specifically Thoughtseize matchups, uh, I was finding my win percentage to actually be slightly higher on the draw than the play with uh, uh, the Is It Phoenix deck. Um, I've had a couple days now, or a couple weeks, I guess, to kind of ponder why this might be the case. And it's really hard for me to kind of put into words, but... The best way I can put it is is when you have two decks like Grixis Death Shadow and Phoenix play each other, and their efficient mana curve basically is around two and three like land drops. Like at two and three land drops, you, the both decks are firing at full cylinders. When that happens so quickly, the game quickly devolves into you know, who has the extra card to win a key turn. For example, and, and going first a lot of the time for Phoenix may not even be that advantageous if you're playing the song and dance of trying to keep your opponent healthy or at a high life total. Because I was often finding I put like a Phoenix or two into play and then just saying go. So I kind of had to ask myself, if I'm not doing this quickly, like if I'm not trying to quill, kill him quickly and I have all the mana I need, then this might be why the draw is more advantageous. So my first thing was just to accept the data the way it is. You know, I come from a very, you know, heavy science background and one of the first things they teach you is no matter how good your theory is if the results don't line up with it you have to throw away your theory even if you like it so i, I at first just accepted it and i took it multiple times throughout day one and day two and all my opponents were kind of like looking at me like like i was just bad shit or something but <laughs> um and then i did it in off eight with nick miller sitting next to me and i i didn't know he was listening and i guess he tweeted it out when i when i did it and that's what started this whole thing but yeah you, you just kind of got to trust the process and and do the little things right i guess and and it worked out so you know i i was undefeated against Death shadow and jund uh both days so yeah it worked out mm. 
Andy, have you, have you kept track of play draw records yourself? No, I don't have it in me. Don't have it in me to keep track of that, that diligent amount of data. Every time I like set it up in my spreadsheet, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep track of play draw. And then I play three matches and I go, ah, oh, no, thank you. It is tedious. Yeah. You know, uh, I think, I think Mort does it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah Mort so. is the magic online replay tool. It's created by a streamer named Pyrocore. And it, it keeps track of absolutely everything that it can scrape from a Moto replay. So it'll take tell you absolutely everything about a game. It'll tell you your match win percent up in every matchup, including your game win percent on play draw, your hand size, your expected game turn ending. You know, if you're playing an, an aggressive deck, it'll tell you how many of your games end on turn four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ward, so Ward is great. During the wow. summer, I played a lot of Hollow One uh, on Moto, just doing a ton of grinding. And I, I noticed as well, there were a few matchups where definitely being on the draw was correct. Uh, and it's, it's super interesting. And it's really cool when it's... Because um, it creates a really interesting dynamic, which I think will, is going to pop up more in Limited than it is in Constructed. Uh, but it's one of those things that you need a lot of data for, where if there's a matchup where if, if I'm the player, I decide that I want to be on the draw, all of a sudden, that means my opponent wants to be on the draw. So now both of us kind of want to lose the die roll or both of us want to be selecting to be on the draw. And it's really interesting. And I think it's something that is definitely underexplored. Uh, you know, Tarek, you know, going undefeated against Thoughtseize decks is sort of a, a testament to how powerful it is. Um, but it is something that you definitely need the data to back up the theory because it can be pretty embarrassing if you're wrong. The last time somebody put me on the draw was the Boros Angels mirror where I killed them on turn five. So if, if you... Don't know the matchup, you should probably pick the play. And without some specific evidence, pick the play. But look look for the evidence. I uh it was actually funny. This happened to me in standard um in two months ago. I was I was keeping I posted a couple hands to Twitter and said that I kept them on the, the fact that I was playing against blue black uh mid-range control in standard and they have the two mana thought sees that surveils. People are like, why are you keeping these hands? I'm like, you just need raw card advantage against them because all of their cards don't actually do anything except for try to two for one you the entire time. And so if you can just like stick threats and kill them before you just get two for one out of the game, like that's how you win. It doesn't actually matter what their cards do because they don't actually kill you. What happens is you just run out of resources and an Eldest Reborn goes off and you can't win. And Canister suggested to me, well, I think you should be mulligan in these hands, but you should also maybe be considering playing on the draw more if you just want raw resources. If it because in in that sense, like if the extra land matters or the extra card matters, then it doesn't matter if your opponent's thought seizing you on turn two on the play or thought seizing you turn one on the play because you get that extra card. And I thought about that, and I didn't actually go through and test the matchup anymore, but I thought that was really interesting. And was like really interested to hear that because nobody had ever said that or brought that up to me before, specifically in standard, right? Where there's a lot of aggro decks and there's a lot of sort of mid-range card advantage decks. But yeah, I really I really like that you did that and it's super interesting. Well, thank you. Man, did it? Hmm. Elliot, at some point, wouldn't you like really want to? I guess if you had this information, this data, like would you want to like scout all your potential opponents a lot more? <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I guess if you have a small enough field, 
it's uh, probably more of a, a game two and game three straight type strategy, especially because those tend to be the games that slow down uh, where being on the draw is more beneficial. Um, but I don't know if it, I don't know if scouting is actually a real strategy outside of smaller local events. And yeah, I was just about to say, like, <laughs> I think, I think scouting is the biggest waste of resource in competitive <laughs> magic today that like actually putting time and effort to try to scout is just like, just, I don't know, just work on a sideboard in between rounds or something. Like, why are you scouting? <laughs> hey, it used to put a lot of effort, man. Like the, you know, on oh, PT, Google I, Drive. I know, I know KYT. I know, I know about some PT Google Drives. When we went to PT 25, there was, there was a lot of effort put in to, to scouting. And I was like, listen, I don't care. I, I, I don't want to sound offensive or anything. I just think this is useless. And and anyways, sorry, I didn't mean to derail conversation, but ugh, I hate scouting. Maybe a downside we haven't mentioned is that if you choose to play on the draw, you're going to have to contend with the inevitable joke about Manalist Dredge. So it might just not be worth it on that merit alone. <laughs> Tarek, uh, all of this makes me think about your, your constructive prowess, but, but how comfortable are you... Uh, in limited like <laughs> limited especially week one limited is actually one of my favorite formats in magic um i like to say i learned how to play magic at, through cube and drafts so i'm very comfortable with limited um being creative i think is one of my one of my strong points especially in magic so um gp montreal actually i i started off x1 uh day one and then i two won my second pod so i was going into my last pod uh x and two and funnily enough, um, you guys have all drafted Guilds of Ravnica now for a couple of months. So you guys are all familiar with the uh, five-color uh, guild pile deck that can be assembled and, and how it's quite powerful when it comes together, right? So this is week one of Guilds of Ravnica Limited. And I'd played like one or two drafts online, and I was kind of like toying with this idea. And it, it never really came together for me. So I sat down um, for my my last pod draft uh, sitting at X2, knowing that if I three Oh this pod, uh, there's a very good chance I, I top eight. And I remember opening, I opened up the, the red, white rare, the one, one uh, double strike. Um, that's absolutely fantastic in the Boros mentor deck. And I, I sat there and I said to myself, you know, I can take Boros and force it just like I did in my first draft. And it'll probably be a two, one deck. And if I get kind of lucky, I can three Oh. And I think in that pack, um, there was a black removal spell, and I noticed the, uh, the guild summit as well that I was almost certain would wheel if, if I passed it. So I kind of said to myself, you know, like, you know, it's week one. I don't think anybody else will, will know how to draft this deck. You know, I, I've been playing with it. Uh, let's see where this goes. And I still have the deck together because KYT, I'll tell you now, I 3 that draft. It did not go well at all. But that deck, in my opinion, like I still have it on me to this day, and I thought it was fantastic. It ended up a five-color pile with, with perfect mana. I ended up getting two guild summits. I had like a deafening clarion, um, two of the two mana fixers, and and the whole work. So the deck actually came together for me. It, it just didn't perform well. I uh, I think I got a bit unlucky to O three that draft, but it was one of those. You know, I really regretted it after after going O three. But looking back on it retrospectively, I was like, yeah. This is a thing that you could do in this format, and you know it, it probably it could have probably paid off in another world, but it didn't. So to answer your question, I, I really like limited. It's it's probably my most favorite format, especially when it's unexplored and new. So 
uh, to segue, actually, I'm, I'm no longer going to GP Jersey. I've kind of committed wow. to the SCG grind. Yeah. Because of how wild the last two weeks have been. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to decide right now if I should bite the bullet on a, on a $250 flight or if I should take a day off work and, and drive 10 hours with the people driving down. But it really kills me that I'm not going to a local GP that's 15 minutes from where I currently live in my favorite format uh, ever. So, you know, it hurts, but <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you're probably making the smart, smartest play uh, given that you're in second place. Uh, here, yeah, eliminate for me the first week. I'm the absolute worst. Uh, <laughs> just can't evaluate cards. Uh, I'll always have to like I, I'll crush everyone, but that's because I relied like over the years rely on LSV's like limited guide, and then right. that stomping noobs at pre-release doesn't mean anything. But if you did give me a guide, I, I'd be I'd be really bad. Um, <laughs> back to the play draw thing. Like, what about limited? How do you? I mean, this question to, to the rest of the guys, like, how do you accumulate enough data to know what's right and wrong in that sense? And, and, and it also depends on the type of pool that you open, right? So how, do you put much thought into that? Um, me personally, um, Dominaria, I thought was a draw format. In fact, multiple GPs I played in it, I was playing on the draw. What, for me, and, and I'll throw it to the other guys in a bit, but what it comes down to is when's the, the turning point of every game? Because if it happens relatively quickly, like if there are enough matchups in a limited format that the turning point happens probably within the first, you know, early game to mid game, first five, six, seven turns, then I'm more than likely just take the play every time. But for anybody that's played Dominaria, there's a bunch of one, three bodies and the game would often be pushed out to the mid and late game. So when, when you have turning points of games or crucial turns taking place further along, like turn seven, eight, I think the extra card is you know, invaluable, especially when, when magic has such a ebb and flow of when you get your spells versus when you kind of flood out that being on the draw can really mitigate this. But I'm interested to see what, what everybody else's opinion is on this. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, some formats are more subtle, mm-hmm. uh, but some are super obvious, like the core set where you had Renown. So yeah. like really obvious that you should go on and play or else you're going to get crushed. Um, right. Time once they connect with like a the two two renowned uh, white guy, uh, Derek. Did you want to chime in? Uh, yeah, I was I was exclusively the opposite. I never wanted to be on the draw in that format. Um, could could have a lot more to do with my uh, my play style when it comes to limited. But but I feel like there um, as much as there are a lot of one threes, there are also a lot of three twos or three ones or combat tricks that you could abuse. And if I find the best way. Well, not the best way. One of the better ways to get card advantage is to punish your opponent for playing a slower, greedier deck. So you put them on the back foot before they can optimize their good cards. Like, um, for example, I think the Eldest Reborn is very powerful, but if you have a bunch of 1-1 tokens in play and your opponent plays Eldest Reborn on turn 5, they're dead. And there's nothing they can do about it. And that's card advantage to me. So I find if I'm on the play, I want to be the beatdown. I want to be punishing my opponent. I want to make sure that if they put me on the play... They uh, they learn for next time that don't do that because you'll get punished some amount of the time and that's that's how I like to do it in limited in general. Um, I think I think there's there's a lot of validity behind wanting the extra card, but I believe in limited that the majority of games come down to combat. So actually, sometimes the extra card doesn't do any doesn't do anything because um, it's really hard for you to be a control deck or try to optimize that extra card. So to me, I think that you just want to be on the play. 
Mm, I don't know if the other guys played enough uh, of that limited format to, to chime in. I, I played a lot of that limited format. What's, what's, what's your take? What's your take, Eddie? It, it it's completely depends on your deck, like what deck you have. So, like, there's cards, specific cards that, like, mean you can take the draw more often. Like, think of the card Fungal Infection. Let's say I have two Fungal Infections in my deck. I think taking the draw is totally reasonable because... The odds that I will not get run over are much higher, and the extra card could matter, especially in a lot of the fungal infection decks. If you end up being like a controlling deck with fungal checking, like the black red, like all removal and the kicker guys, or if you ended up being like the the what do you whatever you call them, the sprouts things, the what are they called? Sapperlings. Sapperlings. Yeah, if you end up being the sapperling deck, then sometimes you're just going so far over the top it doesn't really matter. So those are the kind of things that I consider is like how likely the aggro deck of the format is to like be a fully functioning aggro deck and depends on the synergy, right? In sealed, some of these aggro decks won't have all their synergies going. So you can afford to take the draw because their aggro cards are going to be mixed with non-aggro cards because you don't always get 23, 24 playable aggro cards. So in, in sealed, I like to take the draw, but it really depends on the build of my deck. If I have good cheap removal, I'll take the draw. If I have like some defensive creatures, I might take the draw because it's going to be harder to kill my opponent. I might want the extra card. And it just depends on if there's like a keyword or ability in the format that leads to the people snowballing more like uh, like the some pump spells, the bloodthirst, the renowned, or maybe there's those the creatures that uh, bloodthirst, not blood, or whatever. The ones that like Gore Clan Rampage or whatever. So that kind of stuff that leads to being on the draw being like really bad. So it it it, it depends. I, I just like I still I don't even think you need to be aggro in that format. Like this is why I think you should just always be on the play unlimited. When I played uh the team PTQ in DC with uh Gabe Sang and D- David Rude, um like uh I I had Helm of, Helm of whatever, copy a creature. I had, uh, what's the, the three man, the five mana three three, one of land ETB's draw card gain a life. And yeah, and I had two land worlds. And, and I always wanted to be on the play because I just wanted to get my threats into play first. I wanted to make sure that my opponent had to kill my threats before they could deploy their threats and beat me, even if they cost five mana. And I don't even think the extra card mattered. Like, if I had Tatiova in the play, you have to kill that before you win the game. Or if I have um, Slimefoot in play, you have to kill that before you win the game, right? So to me, like, the extra card doesn't matter if you just, like, put a threat into play first. So, like, you don't even need to be an aggro deck. It works really well with aggro decks, but I think, like, just putting, putting cards into play or having board advantage and limited is a lot more important than having, like, card advantage. It sounds like your deck was so busted it literally didn't matter if you were on the player of the draw, to be honest. But, but like, it, my deck was exceptionally good, but it was team-sealed. So, like, everybody's deck is two or three levels higher than you would expect in a normal sealed format. So, so like, maybe that warps it a bit. Like, you want to be on the play more often because you can put your big bomby threats into play. But then you could also say, oh, if I have so many bombs in my deck, I want to be on the draw, so I draw more bombs than my opponent. You know what I mean? If, if in theory you have the same equal amount of bombs as your opponent. But to me, just putting them into play and forcing your opponent to have an answer is a lot more important than to try to have the extra resource because I think 
pressuring your opponent to answer your cards instead of like trying to play and answer their cards is, is a better game plan. Yeah, team, team sealed and draft are sort of different beasts when it comes to play draw. Like, I would almost never take the, the draw on team sealed or draft. It really depends. But uh, those two, I think in particular, I almost never take the draw. But in regulars, like six pack sealed, I think taking the draw is totally reasonable. Like team sealed decks get busted, and same with same with draft. Good draft decks. That's when the aggro decks can be like, like very powerful and very fast and very punishing. So I I agree. I wouldn't take the the draw in team sealed. I think it's also very format dependent. Like if you look at the this format that we're just coming off of with Guilds of Ravnica, even in draft, um, I think game one. Typically, you should just don't take the play because there's the risk your opponent's on Boros. But the rest of the field going into game two and game three, you're going to either be playing against blue-black, uh, blue-red, or white-green like white green or, or green-black. And none of these decks, aside from a particularly good Convoke draw from the green-white deck, are going to be killing you particularly fast. So if your deck is geared for the late game, you have a lot of expensive spells, and it's important for you to be hitting your land drops, then I think it's uh, you're going to be advantageous to be taking the draw in those situations. You know, if you're if you're the curve out green white deck, not so much. If you're Boros, not so much. But if you have a dirty blue black deck and you're playing, you know, either a mirror against a blue red deck, then that's something you should be looking into. If you think that it's more important for you than your opponent. Sure. Yeah. sure. Like not in the blind though, right? Like yeah, in the blind, in the blind, because there's the risk of Boros. I I would never. Um, I think that in Dominaria there was no premier aggressive deck like we see in Boros now, where I think that it would, it's pretty safe to be on the draw game one. Uh, and, and this is something where, you know, you kind of look at your deck and you, you kind of know where I, if I just hit all my land drops, things are going to be smooth as butter versus on with an aggressive deck, you know, maybe you can afford to miss a land or two because you're going to be applying pressure. And it, it really just comes down to, am I being, is my deck capable of creating pressure? There were a lot of Dominaria decks where your only two drops were Caligo Skin Witches and uh, G2 Chroniclers, which, you know, two drops. Those aren't two drops. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you were, never, you were never being able to one to leverage being on the play, so you should just take your extra card, hit your land drops, and play your expensive good spells. Uh, but yeah, I, I think... I, sorry, sorry, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I was just going to say, I think that's the perfect way to put it, yeah. Yeah, and, and the big the big thing for me as well is I, I kind of touched on this earlier where if your opponent wants to be on the draw all of a sudden you want to be is if your opponent selects to be on the draw for game two, alarm bells should be ringing for game three if you probably want to be on the draw. You know, if, if, you know, if your opponent's a complete bozo in red and is listening to me now and says, oh, I'm going to always pick the draw because Elliot's a genius, then, you know, maybe reconsider, maybe realize that being on the, being on the play is just good for you no matter what, but uh, it's it's definitely something to, to be looking out for, is if your opponent selects to be on the draw. Yeah, at, uh, at Montreal, I was on green-white, and a couple, sorry, this was Ravnica Sealed, uh, I played against at least one Demir opponent who put me on the play, and at least one it opponent that put me on the play. And um, I, I think it, that worked well to their death. Um, I don't remember if I won or lost, but I do think going forward for the newer format, that it, that's a sort of similar mentality with Rakdos being the aggro, is if you're dodging Rakdos, um, maybe you should be going on the draw, depending on your deck. Um, but 
very new format. Haven't looked at a lot of the limited spoilers, um, but I, I generally like to be on the play. Uh, I think there's theory to being on the draw, just like in Constructed, obviously. But I think if you're playing against me, please always put me on the play. If you want to draw your extra card, you can have it. You know, that's fine with me. Even after hearing Elliot's reasonings, are you still always on the play type guy now? Or still to this? I think after Dominaria and playing through Dominaria, Mm -hmm. I've decided that I think I like to be on the play. Um, Mm -hmm. And even if you offer me up, like, it's probably like 80-20. So like 20% of the time I want to be on the draw. And it's like Mm -hmm. a very specific subset of sealed pools or draft decks. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I want to be on the play because there are some decks where it's like, why are you, why are you going first with this deck? You know, like Andy said, like if you have two or three fungal infection, like I might be hard pressed to be on the play, but it really right. depends. I don't know. All right. Let's wrap up the show with, with well, one of our most uh, well-received segments, which is, uh, since we've ever started the show, which is our top five heading into the release of the next set, and uh, left it up to Twitter for, for to judge the winner of the last one. Top five constructed picks from Gills of Ramnica, and these picks were uh, kind of embarrassing to read. These, but uh, Notion Rain, Chemist's Insight, Tajik Legion's Edge, Assassin's Trophy, Ionize, Derek Hat, Legion War Boss. Chemistry's Inside as well, Pelt Collector, Playcrafter, and Assassin's Trophy. And Elliot Hat, Pelt Collector as well, Legion War Boss, Aurelia, Exemplar of Justice, Doom Whisperer, Sinister Sabotage. Um, I think uh, Ben Feingrish criticized us by saying, like, no one won because no one had it. But after the, a bunch of votes, 10% voted for Andy, 31% for Derek. 59% with Elliot, and in our own private chat, we thought Elliot uh, did the better job out of the three. <laughs> so congratulations, Elliot. You take round one. Uh, now we're going to round two, and uh, Tarek, I don't know if this is like your, your top list, but you had mentioned four interesting cards uh, to be constructed. Um, yeah. So let's, let's just say it is like, I guess, part of your top, top list heading into the release of the set, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if they're going to be the biggest impact cards, but they're the ones I'm most excited to play with. I think I had uh, Wild Reclamation. I'm just looking at it now. Spot of Mayhem. Uh, Terramander. I'm probably going to butcher that one. I, I don't even know how to pronounce that either. <laughs> it might be Terramander. And Theater of Horrors. Um, Wild Reclamation. Uh, I was joking earlier. It's, it's like those... Um, what do they call them in cube effects? The ones that double your mana. Uh, like, like a mana flare. Heartbeat, yeah, it's like a yeah. one-sided heartbeat almost if you have a mix of instant and sorceries. So that's probably the most excited one to kind of like brew with and, and see what people come up with. Uh, Spawn and Mayhem, you know, I want to play Black Green, Splashing Red going forward. And just that three mana, four, four flyer that also gets bigger over time, especially in the late game is is like just an insanely valued and, and aggressively costed creature. So I'm excited for that in standard. Uh, Terramander is more for, for legacy uh, or modern perhaps, you know, uh, one mana, was it Adept 3 or 4? I think it's 4, right? So one mana, 5-5 five, five flyer potentially in the mid to late game. I, I think that has huge potential there. Uh, Theater of Horrors, Outpost Siege. We've seen this card time and time again in Standard, and it's always been around in some capacity. And and this one has a memory attached to it. So 
I could definitely see it being, you know, almost broken if, if people, you know, find the right enablers, right decks for it. So that's my top four. And I don't really know if I have a fifth one yet. Maybe the Angel of Grace card, but I have to look more closely. Okay, sweet, sweet. So now let's take it away. Let's, let's have the defending champ, Elliot, reveal your exciting top five. Show these boys how it's done. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start my list with a spoiler of wild reclamation wilderness reclamation sorry is not on my list i think that i think that it's like 50 50 to be the most busted card in standard that gets banned or do absolutely nothing patrick chapin tweeted i look forward to post ban uh, standard i can only assume he's referring to wild wilderness reclamation but i don't i don't have the cojones to put it on my list uh so <laughs> that, for the actual top five my top five. My number one card is Rhythm of the Wild. I talked about it last week real quickly. Rhythm of the Wild is one red-green for an enchantment that says creature spells you control can't be countered and non-token creatures you have riot. I think this is just going to put these green-red decks that have been sort of on the fringe of standard over the top. They're getting so many good new cards with the Gruul. Riot is a mechanic that has been very carefully balanced by the play design team on the cards that have it. You look at uh, Ravager Worm, which is a, a four five for six mana that can either fight some, sorry that does fight something when it enters the battlefield, and has Riot. And you know if you look at the format, being a five six, being a four six, that's a huge difference. All of a sudden, your your Ravager Worm is killing things like Lyra Dawnbringers or even opposing Ravager Worms, and having haste if you have Rhythm of the Wild in play. So all these cards that are specifically designed around giving you a choice that's supposed to matter, all of a sudden, they're just the stones with Rhythm of the Wild, and it stacks, and it has other synergies with things like the 2-2 that tutors up additional copies when it has counters on it. Uh, you know, this, this might even be the coming into of Pelt Collector, a card that was on my list last time but didn't quite make it, you know, if, if you can have a green-red aggressive deck, who says you can't play Pell Collector? I, I'm a genius! The deck You're just ahead of your time. Card. Yeah. Uh, my second card is Rixmati Reveler. I, I'm not quite as hyped about this one, but, you know, Tarek mentioned the uh, Theater of Horrors, I think is what it's called, the, the enchantment. Rixmati Reveler is, is a card that's in a similar vein where it's going to allow these base red or black red aggressive decks uh, to just have access to more cards. Even without paying the spectacle cost, it's one in a red for a 2-2 that rummages when it enters battlefield. With spectacle, it's two black red, and you bedlam reveler when it enters the battlefield. So if you have a deck that has something like a Rixmati Reveler in it, that has a couple theater of horrors, all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're not playing Experimental Frenzy, a pretty dominant red card that we've seen now, but you're lowering the curve of your deck. You have a way to rummage. You have a way to recuperate cards in the late game. You can afford to trim on lands. You can be playing an 18-19 land mono red deck or, or red splash black deck, maybe even playing black just for Rick's Mighty Reveler. And so just being able to have more cards that matter and keep more spectacle hands, keep more seven card hands with these mono red decks, I think is going to be really big. You know, it's... it's unfortunate maybe that it's not a wizard maybe well designed maybe if it was a wizard it would be too good but i think that these mono red decks moving forward with this is a two drop i i think are going to be very powerful especially early in the format you know dismissive pyromancers are a card we've seen a little bit of that rummages you have to tap and pay mana to rummage with it which was you know already being played in some of the big red decks i think Rizmati, rick's mighty reveler is going to bring that power 
to the more aggressive decks as well. Uh, my third card, Gutter Bones. You know, again, Tarek mentioned the mythic spawn of Mayhem, but Gutter Bones is just like a dual threat. I'm hedging my bets with this one. I think it's very powerful for a mono black deck. This, the mono black deck now has access to, I think, 16 one drops that can attack for two effectively. Uh, as well as Gutter Bones, just, it's one mana for a 2 1 that you can pay one and a black to bring it back to your hand if you've dealt damage with Spectacle. So if you have these aristocrat style decks, which we, we've seen cropping up, we saw the spoiler, uh, the pre release event yesterday on Magic Arena, uh, you know, the, it's just a constant recurring threat and something you recur and keep sacrificing for value in these decks. And I think the fact that it has, you know, these two alleyways where maybe in the next set, which I believe is also Ravnica, maybe we get uh, another aristocrat or some sort of sacrifice outlet or even going forward, you know, we even have Priests of Forgotten Gods now, which is a very potent sacrifice outlet. I think that between the mono black aggro deck having 16 one drops and these aristocrat style decks, I think Gutter Bones is a definite, you know, it's, it's a buy. Magic Finance, get your Gutter Bones now before it's busted in standard. Um, moving on, I have Hydroid Crassus on my list. This is a card I've personally already pre ordered. I paid 10 Canadian dollars for my Hydroid Crassuses. I'm going to get them day one. <laughs> X blue green cast draw half of X cards gain half of X life rounded down and it's an XX creature with flying and trample this card would be absolutely bananas we'd be seeing everybody they could not stop talking about this card if it was four blue green for a four four that said draw two gain two the fact that it's that and so much more because you can spend 10 mana 12 mana it's insane you can draw so many cards and it and the payoff is just having lands in your deck that's the cost it, it can fill anywhere in the curve maybe you pay maybe you play four mana for it and it's a two two that draws a card that's not great but in the late game it's so unbelievable and it has flying and trample this is like two keywords i think the last time we saw them on like a, a super relevant card was doom whisperer which i highly rated because of that before that the last one I'm thinking of is Dragonlord Tarka. Dragonlord Tarka, basically unblockable. Your Hydra Karras is unblockable. Great with Rhythm of the Wild, because you have a huge fireball creature with haste. It, it's stringing together. You play them both. Teamer. There we go. Uh, and the last one, uh, I'm, I'm less excited about this one, because I, I care mainly about Standard, but Prime Speaker Vanifar, I think, is a real chance of making it in Modern. You know, Birthing Pod, banned for a reason. But Prime Speaker Vanifar just shoes, kind of shoehorns into similar decks. We see, like, Devoted Druid combo decks now that can just play Prime Speaker Vanifar. And both Devoted Druid and Prime Speaker Vanifar, their weakness is that you need to be able to untap with them uh, to be able to do anything. Well, we have Lightning Greaves in the format. We have Court of Calling in the format. We have, we have now eight payoffs that reward you for playing these cards that kind of cheat on giving your creature haste. And, you know, with, with Prime Speaker Vanifar, you have the potential for a turn three kill. Or, or uh, with, with Lightning Grooves on turn two, turn three Prime Speaker Vanifar off of Mana Dork, you have a turn three kill off of just a single one drop. And what's amazing to me is these decks don't have to play bad cards. A lot of the times when you think of these like tutor toolbox style decks, you end up playing bad cards to enable the combo. But the Prime Speaker's Vanifar chains that I've been seeing are, are playing things like Scrib Ranger and, 
just cards that aren't overly embarrassing because Scribble Ranger at the end of the day is, ju- is just a mana dork when you have another mana dork in play. So when your deck has like a critical master playing like 12 mana dorks in the Scrub Ranger, it's just a 13th mana dork. So it's not the most embarrassing card. Uh, and then, you know, you can, from a one drop with the power of Scrub Ranger, go all the way up to Kiki comboing your opponent. So I think that, you know, this has a real chance in modern. And it's not like it's a zero in standard. You know, Huey Jensen's been streaming for the past two days between the event today and uh, the event yesterday and today uh, is a Bant pod deck with Vanifar, you know, turning two drops into Exclusion Mage and Detention Deputy, turning three drops into Shalai and Conclave Cavalier, turning that into a Lyra or a, a Biogenetic Ooze. And, you know, these chains exist even in standard. So I think it could be a real contender. And it, Vanifar is just a, one of those cards that gets better the more cards are in the format. So look for Vanifar, you know, keep it in the back of your mind when the next set comes out and the set after that. As long as Vanifar is in standard, all of a sudden, something like a Bounding Crisis or Pestermite is going to be a lot better. And, you know, in modern, anything can happen. I think it has the potential. So that's my top five. I think I'm going to go four for five. I'm going to do the same as last, year, last time. And uh, pre-order the cards now. That's all I got to say. Aureli was on my list last time. I pre-ordered them in top 16 to GP. So get, get your hydrate crafts. Oh, my God. Uh, Derek, go ahead. Oh, okay. So I'm going to be a little bit calmer about this one. Um, simply because I'm just not really as excitable, I guess. Um, my first one is Lavinia. Uh, Azorius Renegade. Um, I, I don't know how popular this card will be in standard. I think it will see some amount of play, although I'm not sure where. I just think the card has a powerful effect. I do think it's really good for um, modern and legacy. Uh, it's it's sort of well costed. It's a two two for two. Has a very powerful sort of Gaddictig effect and is a human if i remember correctly so yeah it's a human soldier like what else could you want um to me this this is just really good card uh you can't really go wrong with it good rate good ability second one is uh judith of the majority of decks i've seen so far or of the of the decks i've seen so far the majority of them have been red black aggro and i think that's because it's one of the weak one easiest decks to build and I think Judith just slots into that deck so well. It really uh, holds its own place with pumping your other creatures by having an ability when it comes into play. It's three mana, so it's not really restrictive on what it does, so it's a good rate. And it has a really relevant ability up to the point where people start playing, I think it's Cry of the Carnarium. Um, so you start punishing people for playing uh, Deafening Clarion or Spot Removal. And I think that this this card will shape the format for the first couple of weeks until people really start to adjust. My third card is Skargan Hellkite. Um, this card is very underwhelming when you first look at it. I think that it's not really the explosive, this card's going to break the format kind of card. It's more of a mid-rangey, this is the top of your curve. Uh, this is a card you want in certain spots um, because it plays two roles. It plays the beatdown, and it plays the control. So you basically get to choose how you want this card to affect the game state. So sometimes 
it's going to be wrathing your opponent's board, and then other times it's going to be haste killing your opponent after they've wrathed you, or it's going to be presenting a lethal threat in the air. Um, so I think that card's really good. My fourth is Rick's Maddie Reveler. Um, I think that when Elliot talked about it, he sort of just grazed the surface of this card because I don't think this is going to be in an aggro deck. I think this is going to belong in a mid-range deck along with Theater of Horrors. Um, I don't think Theater of Horrors goes in an aggro deck. I think the reason Theater of Horrors goes, goes in more of a, a mid-range um, controlling deck is because you get to cast the cards later and you can still play the cards in your hand. So it enables you to play more removal spells, enables you to play more sort of reactive spells, and at any point in the game, you can also play whatever cards are underneath it. Plus, it works as a kill condition. So to me, you don't want 18, 19 land. You want 23 or 24, so you can activate this and you can use the cards underneath, and so it goes to the late game. Um, so... I think Rick's Monty Reveler, sorry, is, is the card I'm talking about. And I think it works really well with Theater of Horrors because it allows you to sort of dump your hand and turn on this Rick's Monty Reveler. I also think that Rick's Monty Reveler works very well in a lot of different shells, um, not just the aggro shell, which is why I'm very happy about it. And my fifth card is Angel of Grace. I think this card is going to put a lot of sort of mid-range white decks from just fine to good because you're not going to be able to kill them. You think that, like, one of the ways that aggro decks um, are very powerful early in the format is they gain virtual card advantage. Yes, virtual card advantage from killing their opponent before their opponent can play their flashy spells. If you flash in an Angel of Grace and your opponent doesn't kill you on the spot, you get to gain 10 life later, all of a sudden you're back in it and it's like turn seven or eight and your cards are doing a lot more things than your opponent's aggro cards are because that's just the way, uh, like you pay more mana for cards, they do more things. Your aggro opponents have worse cards than you later in the game. So Angel of Grace really pushes you from mid to late game, allows you to abuse it. And so I find that Angel of Grace will be uh, another really good card for this format. And can't believe more people aren't talking about it. I think it's very, very good. Like, it's a five, four for five with flash, and you don't die when you cast it. And this is what I dream about. Like, it's probably not as good as Avison, but it's close. All right. We're down to, to you, Andy. But first, for first, tell us what, what happened to, uh, to your first, first list, like. All right, look look at the card Tajik and tell me in a million goddamn years you thought it wouldn't see play. It has more lines of text than I care to read, Car. <laughs> and nowhere, nowhere did it see play. <laughs> I think, I think, and Notion Rain, who to who knew? Divination's still bad. <laughs> all right, all right, redeem yourself. Let's go. Well, I don't, I don't even know where to start, Car, because this list is just hot fire. So first, I'll start with the, the card that no one mentioned. Well, they mentioned it, but it's not on their list for some reason. It's Priest of Forgotten Gods. So it's one in a black for a 1-2. Tap it, sacrifice two other creatures. Any number of target players each lose two life, sack a creature. You add 
black, black, and draw a card. So when I first read this card, I didn't even realize it edicted my opponent, and I still thought it was playable. I, my opponent's creatures were just dying one after another, and I thought I was just judicing them down at some obscene rate, but no, they kept sacking them. So this card, it, it could enable some pretty busted stuff, and it's like one of the only free sacrifice outlets. So if there's a lot of decks that want to sacrifice their creatures, which Judith and other stuff will kind of encourage you to do, it will be very powerful in those decks. Like it has a high ceiling and it it does have sort of a low floor. Like it could end up being bad because it just dies to everything. doesn't protect itself. And you have to sack two of your other goddamn cards. But I still think it's going to, it's going to be a good card. Second is wilderness reclamation. I could not believe when this card got spoiled. I remember feeling like Teferi was unfair when I got to untap with, uh, with the enchantment on the land. I was like, Oh, baby three extra mana on the house and then i thought what happens in the late game when i have 14 extra mana and what if i play two of them and then i have 28 extra mana if you're playing at instant speed and you can function well playing instant speed this is going to be one of the most broken cards ever this has one of the highest ceilings of any card i've seen in standard before i've seen it be played and Arguing that the ceiling is not that high would be outrageous. Like, obviously, it could fall flat and there's not enough stuff around it. But if this card's good, you're going to immediately whine and piss and moan to get it banned for like the next six months straight as I take every turn of the game. Next is uh, the card that makes this card playable Growth Spiral. So, we've seen uh, last time Explore was in standard, it was like very widely played. It was played in a lot of Valakut strategies. It was played in a lot of Jace the Mind Sculptor strategies. And it was one of the best cards in those decks. And now it's an instant. <laughs> I, I can't get over how incredibly powerful that is to have it. Like to pass the turn, you could have a counter spell, you could have a shock, you could have a lightning strike. And instead, you get to cycle and play an extra land. And not, it's just any land. It's not even like. I'm just so impressed whenever you get to put in a shock land. It feels so goddamn good. So, And the next card is Growth Chamber Guardian. So it's a two-mana 2-2 two, two, with two and a green adapt to whatever one or more plus one plus one counters is put on this card. You may search your library for another one. So the reason I think this is going to be good is because we've seen black green and other kind of mid-range green strategies be pretty good lately. And then... Like they play garbage cards like Merfolk Branchwalker and and whatever Whoa. that was, Wild Growth Walker. Like Merfolk Branchwalker is one of the worst cards I've ever seen people register time and time again. And this card will draw you a card a lot of the time and will kill people faster. And it's just a better card. The only reason you could play Merfolk Branchwalker is because you needed to gain life against some decks with that Wild Growth Walker. It's the only reason that goddamn thing was playable. <laughs> and last but not least is just. Probably one of the most obvious cards is Judith the Scourge Diva, the best name to ever come out of showbiz. And this card would be good if it didn't say other creatures you control get plus one plus oh. This card would still be pretty good. And the fact that it does say all your creatures get plus one plus oh makes nothing, it makes no sense to me how you could, you're allowed to attack for the switch damage and they are going to take damage no matter what. Why is Blood Artist stapled onto this anthem effect? It's outrageous to me. And the fact that all your extra ones just get to be forked bolts for three mana just mitigates all of the, the negative things that happen with playing like a legendary creature in your aggro deck. You get to cash it in later. 
those are my top five. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. We're going five <laughs> for five this time, boys. And <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know. P. Sams, if you want to weigh in on which of these three uh, has a better list, let me know. And uh, you know, listeners can let us know. All right. Uh, let's wrap up the show. Let's end the show. Um, Tarek, actually, I think, Matt, it, it's good to not only see you um, on, on the leaderboard, but uh, before, before it just seemed inconceivable for anyone that is, well, now that you're living in the U.S., it's easier for anyone in Canada to grind the SCG. But now I'm seeing, like, I'm looking at the leaderboard now. There's just so many names that I recognize that are Canadians. But uh, you have the luxury of being able to uh, travel to many things, things and, and keep uh, your top two status or, or top five or, or however. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I hope to keep it up in Indianapolis next weekend. So you'll see me there. Cheer me on. <laughs> oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, and. I just feel the Magic Fest, I mean, GPs, has that affected, has the change affected how much you want to go uh, participate to one of these things? Yeah, um, to be honest with you, I'm not 100%. I don't think even Wizards has announced what the changes are. So for me as a player, it's kind of made it a little bit more less enticing to go to these GPs now that, you know, I don't know really what I'm getting besides like just a pro tour appearance or, and, and let's be honest, you know, GPs aren't the most well-run events, but SCGs, you know, they're a little bit more laid back. You know, they're always running on time. The exposure is great. There's SCG has a lot of things going for it. Uh, with the advent of uh, the reintroduction of the players championship. Now you have this like extra thing that you can get towards. So I think Wizards is kind of dropping the ball, and I think SCG is... I, I know this is a topic for another day, but I, I think SCG is really picking up what Wizards is putting down and creating all these new incentives. And it's not just me that feels this way. I know a bunch of people on the tour themselves have noticed you know, more and more GP people coming out to SCGs now. So, yeah, uh, to answer your question, I think GPs or Magic Fest, as they're now called, are, are definitely a little bit less enticing than they used to be, yeah. Yeah, and like the, the exposure's got to be awesome, whether it's... it's uh just the SCG Live itself, or, or just having uh, Cedric Phillips, who has a lot of uh, clout in the MGG community, you know, invite you to a show, or or have Nick Miller get you on an interview on the stream or whatever. So it's it's, yeah. it's actually really, really, really sweet to see. Um, but unless I'm like, you're still not on Twitter yet, right? I just made a Twitter. I'm going to be a clout one day, but not today. Um, I'm slow, <laughs> slowly making my way up there, yeah. I have, to, I have to like add a profile picture and, and stuff like that. We'll all get right, it. All right. Yeah. All right. What's the ha- what's the handle? What's the name? What's the username? Uh, I believe it's Tark Patel. So my name and then the number ten at Twitter dot com or however this works. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tark. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really, yeah, really I appreciate think- your time and uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this has been a blast. So I'll see you guys in the future. All right. I will hope to invite you back just as often as I invite Edgar. See you next time. All right. Take care, guys. All right. That was Tarek Patel. Second place on SCG Tour leaderboard. Um, not much to really else to talk about. Um, before I forget, support our show on first, uh, patreon.com slash first strike. And the card that it was cool to see all four of you. I didn't give them the task of coming up with a top four, uh, top five. But to have many different cards, so once again, it will be pretty obvious who the winner will be uh, in, a, in a couple of months. 
nothing major has happened except for Wednesday where a bunch of people had these fully stocked MTG Arena account. We had one of my best friends, Alexander Hain, uh, stream, like come out, like he doesn't, he hasn't done a lot of content that often, but with the MPL, with the streamer contract, that's forced a lot of people that may not uh, necessarily be streaming regularly, uh, get some that exposure. It was good to see that. It was interesting though, to see like 20, 30, 40 channels at the same time and everyone having just a small pocket of viewers. And then there's some at the top with a lot. Um, excited to see uh, what happens with that and moving forward. And now that I think that's about it for now. And uh, hope everyone enjoys their pre-releases. Any last words from, from any of you guys? No. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't calmed down from talking about the spoilers, so I have nothing to say. <laughs> the, the Magic Online recently updated their format points. Um, so if you've been grinding anything other than standard on Moto, you should have format points now on those QU for mocks. So pay attention to that. I don't know if they made a big announcement. I just randomly logged in. I think it was yesterday and noticed. So you should do that. Uh, I think that's all I have to say. Okay, and if some of you... Remind, some people don't know. Some people just like don't realize when the pre-releases are. But through this weekend, some are grinding or playing the midnight one tomorrow night. I haven't done those in ages because I, I definitely regret it this Saturday morning. But uh, definitely a fun time if, if people are willing to go with you. And yeah, for, for Annie, Derek, Elliot, myself, um, really can't wait till, till we know the results of this to see how Elliot does if he gets to defend his title. <laughs> that was just so, so fire. You just like... Man, you're just hyped at getting people black cards. Actually, actually, oh yeah, I remember one thing I forgot to mention. Uh, Jonathan Final Nub told us he had to travel to, I believe, Asia, I believe China, for for business reasons, and uh, we'll be missing him. But one card that he was excited about, and then I saw one of our other first strike, uh, let's say staff, Alex Bianchi, talk about was the red card. Uh, where is it? Electro dominance. And how um, Final Nub is looking to break that in many different formats. And uh, I saw Alex was excited. He uh, at Gemini posted something on his Twitter. And but this card didn't make any of your lists. Is it was it close? Was it garbage, Elliot? Uh, any word on that before we go? Uh, Electro dominance requires you to have another spell in your hand for it to do anything, which uh, is kind of not good in modern. You, know, you have to play like well it's not just you have to have another spell but you have to have another spell for it to be really powerful where that spell doesn't do anything else you know it's good when you can pair it with like restore balance and i think wheel of fate uh and, or living end and these cards just do absolutely nothing in your hand other than when you have electro dominance uh and i think it's it's not going to shake out not going to shake out okay all right good evening Good night, guys. See you next time. Make sure to like, subscribe, and subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.